Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Now, I know I promised you a brand new episode this week, and I really, truly did not mean to lie. (laughs) Uh, But though Tiffany and I had tried and tried and tried to tape this week, something always went wrong. Her move has had all sorts of unanticipated problems. And add to that, she's also been under the weather. And on and on and on, our lives just did not match up. So once again, we delve back into the archives, but with purpose. Now, I've heard from quite a few of you in the last few weeks that are going through major transitions right now. And again and again, reading your emails, I've been reminded of a show that we did right after I moved from Rome back to Seattle. Think of this episode as free therapy. And the offer from our therapist guest still stands. He's happy to help you out as well. So while you're listening, if you think of a question or you want some insight on your situation, send us an email. We're at bittersweetlife at mail.com. Bittersweetlife at M-A-I-L dot com. Tell us a little bit about your situation and we'll see if we can get you some answers. And also, we need, 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 need your help spreading the word about this show. If you're an expat, tell your expat friends. If you're a former expat, tell your expat friends or your former expat friends or just tell your friends. People who are seekers or learners or just looking for a new podcast. Spread the word however you think to. And please review the show on iTunes. We really do appreciate it. But look at me. I do go on and on and on. Let's get to the show, shall we? And remember, think of your questions. We're happy to help. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today we're going to be tackling the idea of transitions, which we've kind of been tackling all along ever since I got home, haven't we? But this time well, I called in professional in a round help. Ab- in a roundabout way, yes. Professional help, I think, is always uh, is always a good thing. Yes. So I called him professional help, but before I get to introducing our guest, I want to read you a poem. Because why not? Let's get literary. Sure. (laughs) I'm terrible at reading poems, by the way, so bear with me. A poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Ooh, one of my favorites. Is he? Yeah, I love Longfellow. Oh, great. Maybe you know this one. Maybe you know this one. So it's called Changed. And actually, because I can, through the magic of tape editing, since I'm so bad at reading poetry... I'm going to actually splice in some tape of my high school boyfriend Ooh. reading this poem instead. His name is Joel Israel. He's a voiceover artist, and he sounds really good reading just about anything. From the outskirts of town, where of old the milestones stood, now a stranger looking down, I behold the shadowy crown of a dark and haunted wood. It is changed, or am I changed? Ah, the oaks are fresh and green. But friends with whom I ranged through their thickets are estranged by the years that intervene. That's very apropos, I think, of your situation. Yeah, the passage of time, the way things look different to you when you've had a different experience, all those things. And how did you come across this poem? I'm reading a book called Transitions. Oh, there you (laughs) go. And it's in that book. (laughs) We should mention, you if you're go. hearing anything in the background, that's Claudio. It's his night to cook dinner, so he's uh, doing a little work in the back. Tiffany's husband. Yes, sorry if it's distracting. <laughs> I told him to be extra quiet, and I think he's being extra loud. 
Well, it, maybe it's his way of asserting himself into the conversation. I think that's all Perhaps. right. Perhaps. It's nice to know that he's there anyway. <laughs> but like I said, so in talking about transitions, I decided to call in a professional because really when it comes to being an expat or even a traveler, so much of what your life is is transitions, wouldn't you say? Yes, when you when you stop and think about it, yeah. I mean, it's easy to ignore transitions if you're not moving a lot. And I think a lot of people have transitions in their lives that they don't necessarily recognize that they're going through at the time. They might just think, oh, I'm going through a hard time right now. But they might actually be transitioning. Then there are transitions that are more obvious, like the one that you're going through right now. Mm -hmm. Or somebody who just had a baby or something like that. Something that's, you can see the end, you can see the middle, you can see the beginning of whatever the new thing is, right? Exactly. So I reached out to a man named John Wynn, who is a psychiatrist and an organizational consultant in Seattle, also former expat. I'd like to point out, spent plenty of time overseas. I, every time he went overseas, it was never quite as long as what I did a year, but he would be over for big chunks, like six, seven months at a time mm -hmm. in multiple different countries. So anyway, we decided to sit down together in his office and talk about transitions. And the note that I gave him before we started talking on tape was uh, that I want this to be a really active therapy session. And he said, well, what is that supposed to mean? And I said, that means that you can ask me whatever questions that you want, but you also have to give me lots of advice and what you know, where, you know, a normal therapist might sit back and just listen, right? So that was not his role. And so you'll see he is not just listening. He is participating very actively. Well, you got a pretty good deal then, I would say. Score. <laughs> well, let's hear Hi, Katie. I'm John Wynn. I'm a psychiatrist and organizational consultant here in Seattle, Washington. My interests range from individual psychotherapy with patients in my office to working with couples, families, and also people in workplace settings where I deal with a variety of organizational issues to help folks navigate the workplace. I'm here to talk about transitions. I just went through a major one of a move not only across the world to Rome last year, but a move back to Seattle from Rome after a year of being there. Interested in your perspective on why is it so hard to do something like that and then to do it again <laughs> within a year? That's such a great question. So why did you go to Italy in the first place? I mean, why Rome? Why for so long? Well, my husband got a fellowship to study there. Mm -hmm. And it was a rare enough opportunity that we thought if we didn't take it, we would never get to do anything like that. We weren't expecting him to get the fellowship, so when he did, it was a surprise. It was a worldwide search for candidates, and so we decided this is our chance. And so we quit what we were doing in Seattle, and we went. And ha had you lived in a foreign country before? I have not. He did. And had you been exposed to foreign cultures before? Yes, thankfully. I'd done a lot of travel in Asia and some in Europe, but only two years before I went to Italy. So I'd only been to Europe once before. And I listened to one of your podcasts from your stay in Rome, and I understand your Italian was not, <laughs> <laughs> how shall we say it, <laughs> molto bene when you got there. Yeah, it wasn't good when I left there either, <laughs> to be honest with you. So, you know, when we think about transitions, we usually focus on the period of change I think it's often helpful to look at the process of adaptation to new places, both 
the geographic place, but also the cultural place. You know, we get to know people who have different ways of thinking about day-to-day life, about relationships, about work, about themselves, about family. And those ways of thinking about things often surprise us or make us pause. First, we think someone's saying something very strange, and then we realize, oh, no, this is the way they all think about this here, you know. So I'm very curious to know what kinds of things you found in Italy that maybe struck you as very different or even surprising compared to what you expect in the United States. Surprising, I think I kind of had a rough feeling of what it was going to be, but I, I think that what really resonated with me was that the culture seemed to be less about money, getting ahead, all those things. And I don't know if that was just Rome or if that's all of Italy, but less about those things, more about taking it easy, being with your friends, not working too hard, and enjoying your life. Yes, il dolce far niente, the the specialty uh, of the Italians, the sweetness of doing nothing. So that, I'm, I'm thinking back to, you had a pretty fast-paced life here in Seattle before you moved there. And I'm guessing things slowed down a lot then. Yes. <laughs> I wonder, did that take a while to get used to, to, to go from your very busy life here to a different pace there? Um, yes, I think so. It was more in the first few weeks there, I particularly because my husband was in a program where he had to be places and I had nowhere to be. I definitely had that moment where I thought, what am I doing here? Which seems strange because at the time, although it was a temporary apartment, I was living two blocks from Piazza Navona. It's like, who cares what I was doing there? Really, right? But I did have this month of feeling like I was untethered completely and not knowing what to do with myself. That eased away after a month. So it wasn't like I was stuck in that spot forever. Well, so you went through a process, I'm guessing, not just of being comfortable doing nothing, but actually of finding things to do occupying yourself in this new place, getting to know people. And so you wind up not exactly putting down roots, but certainly getting connected to new ways of being Katie. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder what kind of changes you experienced in yourself in that new place. Well, I was doing a lot of self-seeking, I guess, because I had the time. And um, there was a reporter here, actually, in Seattle, John Talton, who's a business reporter at Seattle Times, suggested that before I go, I do a book called The Artist Way, which is um, basically trying to get at the creative self that might have been buried by all your responsibilities and whatever job you had, which was a huge process of self-examination, which can be very painful. So I did spend a lot of time doing that and just trying to figure out who am I and what do I actually want, hoping that I would end the year feeling like I knew, which I didn't. I think that I ended the year knowing myself better, but I don't think I ended the year going, no, this is exactly what I want to be from here on out. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. We often hope that a period of transition will be a period of growth and that the growth will lead to new insights, new understandings of who we are. Sometimes, really, what we get out of these growth periods is a better ability to ask questions about our day-to-day lives. In other words, the things that we've been taking for granted for so long actually become more salient. They stand out in our day-to-day lives, and we start to question them instead of just ignoring them and taking them for granted. 
So your relationship with yourself changes as you start asking yourself, is this who I really am? Is this what I really want? Is this really the only way to live? And it can be frustrating if you haven't found the holy grail of perfect insight and the answer to all your questions. But then I think we start to realize that the growth process was in taking a wider view of who we are, taking an inventory of who we are, and making the next set of choices much more grounded in an openness to change and an openness to self-understanding. But I'm saying this in a theoretical way. Is that your experience? I wonder. You know, I would actually be curious to ask you, part of the issue I think that I'm encountering is that I went through this big period of change, but then I, as I said, no answers came about necessarily, but a lot of questions. And then I returned to the same place that I was before, which I know happens to a lot of people. And for me, it seems like uh, when I left Rome, I felt like I wasn't done with the experience. Something was left unsettled. Like it just came to the point where we had to leave, but I wasn't done with whatever process I was in. And now I'm, you know, I'm back in Seattle where I had this big regular career and all these things. It's been difficult to kind of meld the two parts. Does that make sense? It does. And, you know, after going through a process like that, where you are devoting a lot of time and energy to this process of self-exploration and uh, self-acquaintanceship. You come back to your very busy life and you've got this, this chunk, you've got this little package of activity that you've, you've been cultivating now for a while. Where do you put it? How do you deal with it? You think, oh yeah, you know, I've got a shelf in the closet. I'll just stick it up there and if I ever get to go traveling again, I'll pull it down and start looking at myself again. Or do you start valuing that part of your life in a way that presses you to make sure you've got regular time for that introspection and questioning? Well, and how do you do that? So there are a number of ways of doing it. You know, one, I think, is to make sure you stay in touch with people who are interested in that same kind of exploration. And there are a number of ways of doing that. There are discussion groups, where people get together on a regular basis to talk about their lives and talk about their goals and what's getting in the way and what's helping them. Mm -hmm. um, there are myriad forms of counseling and psychotherapy that can facilitate and enhance introspection and self-awareness. And then there are some wonderful books out there to read. You know, The Artist's Way is a great example of a book that people will turn to, not because it gives you deep answers to your questions, but because it gives you deep questions that may help you find those answers. There's also the way of transitions, which many people find very helpful. Uh, for men, I often recommend a book called Iron John, which talks a lot about adult male development. And just reading that book slowly often enhances one's relationship with oneself because it gets you asking questions about who am I, where am I from, and am I really living a life that is oriented to the ideals that I hold most dear. A book that some women like in that vein is called The Heroine's Way. Um, another book is called Passages that, uh, again, looks at uh, adult female development and can be very helpful. And I'm, I'm saying female and male in this context, but I think women and men benefit from reading all of these books, you know, if, if that's where they are in their lives. So when we think about transitions, in a way, we're thinking about these three different states, if you will. The, the place you've been the place you've come to, and 
the airlock, you know, the space in between, that transitional space. And the size of that transitional space varies enormously. Sometimes it feels like it was just the duration of the plane ride. I was in Rome, I got on the plane, now I'm right back in Seattle and I'm done, the transition's over, you know. On the other hand, you can go through periods where you're anticipating the transition for months, thinking about it, planning for it, wondering how it's gonna play out, trying to anticipate stuff that'll help you find your way when you get back to Seattle. And then you get back to Seattle and it's all about the ongoing exploration, the ongoing questioning and the, um, well, making the most of the residue from the immediate past. So the transition could be even a year or two if we can draw it out and make, make use of it. So if we think about the catalytic power of transition, the power in a transitional period to stimulate growth, to stimulate change, we may want to do what we can to anticipate it and preserve it, milk it for all it's worth so that we can really get that optimal growth from it. And that means, again, anticipating it, living through it, and holding on to it even as we move into the next phase of our lives. Having someone go through that transition with you can be very helpful. You had the advantage of being with your husband in this foreign country and then both of you were there and you both of you came back. Yes, both of you came back? Good, yes. good, good. That's always good. Transitions, you know, move in all directions, so I don't want to make assumptions, but it sounds like this one's going okay, I hope, yes. Good. So having a partner through a period of transition can be very helpful, and it doesn't have to be a spouse. It could be someone you were corresponding with the whole time, someone who was reading your blog while you were away or listening to your podcasts. Keeping a diary is something people often find very valuable. Not just keeping it, but also every month or two going back and reading what you were writing a few months ago and being in communication with your past, current, and future self, if you will, mm -hmm. can be very helpful. How do you know if you're doing it well or poorly for that matter? <laughs> well, I would say if you're spending a lot of time asking yourself, am I doing this well, then you may have lost your way. <laughs> um, so, you know, if there's a lot of judging yourself or, you know, checking for your recent scores, then, then you, may, you may be stuck. We default to patterns of behavior that feel safe but actually are symptomatic of being stuck. So if you find that you've returned after an extended absence and you really are just easing immediately back into the exact same patterns you had before you left, then those patterns of behavior are going to call back the patterns of thinking and behaving you know, that you had before you went. And, and again, that may be a sign of being stuck. It's not unusual for people moving through transitions to feel kind of afraid of the unknown, about the uncertainty, and that moves them back to old ways of thinking and behaving. One of the important strategies to keep things lively is to ask yourself, am I still reaching out? Am I still connecting with new situations, new people, new experiences? It doesn't have to be every day, obviously, but on a regular basis, how am I continuing to expose myself to stimulating things that will promote my growth? Again, through dialogue with others, through dialogue with authors, with filmmakers, et cetera, with the arts, um, with new developments in your career area. All those things, I think, can help us promote and sustain the growth momentum of a period of transition. 
when it comes to expats in particular or, or long-time travelers, I think one of the questions that I encountered with other people I knew and, and that I've certainly encountered in myself is this whole thing about going home. Mm. When to go home? Will I ever go home? Is home now in Rome where I live? Is Seattle no longer home? I guess my question there is, how do you know, uh, say in a transitional period, that you're missing Rome, say, just because you're missing Rome in, the, in that wonderful year you had, or you're missing Rome because you don't want to be in Seattle anymore? Any transition, especially a thoughtfully done transition, is going to lead to comparisons and also an awareness of absence. So you, you are mindful of anything from the little grocery store on the corner that you used to go to on a regular basis, the little place you used to get your latte, the nice fellow you used to see on the street every day, and how that's gone. And those are sweet but ultimately trivial pieces of your experience. But then there's this ethos that you were referring to a moment ago, a different cultural orientation, perhaps less materialistic, more community-oriented. And if you find it's hard to recreate that or discover it when you come back home, then you may be, be missing that part. This raises the whole topic of homesickness and uh, nostalgia, which, uh, you know, nostalgia comes from these two Greek words, which mean house or home and pain, algia, like analgesics. Um, and the uh, power of our attachment to places where we consciously or unconsciously put down roots and then leave those places and feel the absence, feel something's been torn up and, and seems dangling or un, ungrounded uh, can be very, very powerful. So how do we cope with that restlessness when we come back to where we started? And how do we decide whether it's a restlessness because we're dissatisfied with where we are now, uh, a restlessness because we were so much happier where we were before, or is it just the, the loss of novelty? You know, you had a year where everything was new and now you're back where everything's familiar. Mm. It's, it's hard to know. I, I think that just as you had that month of adaptation when you got to Rome where you felt kind of, what am I doing here? What's going to happen next? Am I crazy <laughs> picking up everything and moving to Rome like this? There's a reentry phenomenon where if you haven't set everything up in advance, you wind up having basically the same feelings, you know, and you don't know if it's because you're unsettled where you are because you haven't quite plugged in yet, or if you're saying to yourself, what was I thinking? How could I leave Rome? I should be back there. I think the more time you spend looking for opportunities that speak to you back home, the more clarity you get about whether you left something powerful behind. They always say, at least, and maybe it's not a stereotype, but I'll say it's stereotypically, that transitional periods, moving, divorce, death of a loved one, all those things are the most stressful period of time, generally speaking, for most people. Do you have a sense of why that is? Is it just that we're thrown off kilter from whatever we thought our life was built up to be? You're asking me, why are transitions so stressful? And the answer, in a sense, is because the 
parts of our lives that tell us who we are, that reassure us that we're safe, that we're valued, that we're expected, are all in flux. And to relinquish those grounding influences, to relinquish the things that keep us tethered to our daily life and move untethered, move ungrounded, move without that reassurance, that validation is challenging, is even frightening for just about everybody. The thing that gets us through those periods, of course, is the promise of something better coming down the road. And then again, we are obliged to find ways to prepare ourselves for that, to prepare the place where we're going to and to prepare ourselves to make the most of it. So the stress of change, again, is a mixture of the excitement of anticipation, the excitement that comes with novelty and the fear of novelty, the fear of the unknown. As we define the components of the new experience, the fear often drops away and the novelty can become that stimulating, exciting part of moving into the new. Okay, I'll work on that. Thank you, John. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. So that was John Wynn. He's a psychiatrist and an organizational consultant in Seattle, also a former expat, of course, uh, giving me some advice on transitions. What did you think? I think it was very helpful. I would, I would actually love to be able to sit and talk to a guy like that. I mean, not just because he has the training of a psychologist, or is it a psychiatrist? I'm sorry. <laughs> psychiatrist. I can't remember. Psychiatrist. Sorry. <laughs> there is a big difference. Not only his obvious clinical training, but somebody who has been through some of the things that you and I are, have gone through and are going through as expats. I would, I would like love to have that guy as my therapist. <laughs> well, Tiffany, actually, you could have him as your therapist because he's made a really, really nice offer which is that if we get enough questions from you, perhaps, or from those of you who are listening, you, I'm talking to you, if I get enough questions from people around the world that want to ask him about some sort of topic, he has invited me to come back and just ask those questions and see if he can tackle them one after another. So we can do it wow. in a future episode. So if there is a burning question that you would like to have a psychiatrist take on, email us at... Sorry. E email us. <laughs> Shut up. Just kidding. Email us at bittersweetlife at mail.com. Bittersweetlife at mail.com. <laughs> Go ahead. Now, do the questions have to be related to his, uh, his interview or can they be on any topic? I'm sure he would tackle any topic. Great. I'm totally going to ask him about my mother. No, just kidding. <laughs> but <laughs> I have no issues with my mother, thankfully. But of course, if, if it's a topic that takes too much of your personal backstory, make sure I at least know the very important relevant details. How about that? Okay. So Good that advice. it makes a little more, more sense. And yeah, so we'll do that. I guess you could also post uh, questions to Twitter. We could keep track of those too, because we have a Twitter feed now at bittersweetpod. So that's another option. You can keep track of those, Tiffany. That'll be your job. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, let's leave it there. This is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us next week. We welcome your questions and your feedback. Reach the show by emailing bittersweetlife at mail.com. That's bittersweetlife at mail.com.